0: A Podcast One production. Welcome to Concussion, where Professor Vicky Anderson helps you understand everything important you need to know about head injuries, the lasting effects it may have, or whether it's just nothing to worry about. So Vicky, you mentioned at the start, there's a split between 75% and 25%. 75% of kids are fine and um, they're happy to just get back on the horse, but there's 25% who are the non-responders that need a bit of extra care. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, so they're the kids that at four weeks still have considerable symptoms. So many are only back at school part-time. Uh, and most of them haven't gone back to regular sporting activities, so their their life is really limited. Um, and these are the ones we we worry about, and so we we term this group the the symptomatic or persisting symptoms group, and, and we see that as abnormal. So from a clinical point of view, our observation is that by that four week point, parents are getting quite worried reasonably so, I would say. And so it's quite, I often see those kids at that time point where parents are getting worried. They go to their GP and then they might go to another medical specialist. So sports medicine physician, some of them go to neurologists and neurosurgeons. A lot of them are really looking for brain scans to make sure their child's brain's okay. So they'll often go to the neurosurgeons and so on. From that point, what tends to happen is that those folk will make a, a diagnosis of persisting symptoms or delayed recovery. And that's when the rehabilitation or the intervention starts in earnest. And it can be along a number of different lines. Every child has a different set of symptoms. Yep. And so... Are
0: there any main ones that we look out for?
1: There are. There's some generic ones, um, headache and fatigue, yep. generic. So all, all kids who who are still symptomatic at that point will have those symptoms. And so we kind of see that as needing to be part of any intervention that we do. And then there's the next group would be the group with physical symptoms. And so physiotherapy is a really common next step to take. So you have the brain scan, you see that there's nothing wrong there, but there's still symptoms And so the referral is to a physiotherapist who specialises in concussion, and there's quite a few of those around. Now, sometimes this is done through multidisciplinary clinic, but by and large, particularly in Victoria, it's done uh, in a sequential way from from um, medical person to medical person, so it can take a long time Mm. and that can mean that that families and kids are really distressed. There are a number of concussion clinics growing up around Melbourne. Some of them are public, so we're just about to start one at the children's hospital and there's a lot in private sports clinics. So there's lots of options, but it's an expensive way to go Mm -hmm. and so what we really want to be able to do is help parents to make good choices and to be getting the right intervention for, for what they need and yes. so to answer your question physical symptoms are really uh, significant and they can be more vestibular, so poor balance mm. and and getting dizzy when when you're moving. But they can also be oculomotor, so they can be double vision, they can be poor visual tracking, uh, and those things also lead to dizziness. And mostly kids will improve quite quickly with some intensive physiotherapy that focus on those, those things. Uh, there's not a whole lot of firm kind of published evidence, but mm-hmm. there's lots of clinical anecdotal evidence that that makes a really big difference. Not really much point in in looking at other areas until a child is no longer dizzy and um, the headaches have reduced. Yep. But at that point, what, what would tend to happen is a um, referral to a neuropsychologist or a psychologist and what we would do would be to have a bit of an overview of some of those cognitive things I was telling you about before. So attention, processing speed, working memory, that would always be part of what I do. Mm -hmm. But also look at mood things as well and... Quite a number of kids who are, who fall into this delayed recovery group actually need some psychological input. So, the approach that we take is cognitive behavior therapy. So, okay, here is a problem you've got a headache. How are you going to deal with it? You know, are you going to take a step by step approach, or you can't go to sleep at night? Here is here is an approach to going to sleep at night. Listen to music. Blah, blah blah. You know, so all of those kind of things. And usually, with both of those those inputs, we find that by three months, most kids are recovered. So it's a very small proportion of kids that still have symptoms by three months, maybe even down to 5%. Yep. What we're really trying to work on uh, is to, I suppose you'd call it precision medicine, which is very trendy these days. We're trying to build a intervention model or a clinic that doesn't just do physiotherapy until all those symptoms are gone and then do neuropsychology, and then do clinical psychology, but rather say, okay, well, we're going to see this child for eight weeks. They can get Medicare rebate for that. And we're going to treat them based on the symptoms they have each week. So the child might come in and they might have physio one week and they might get some advice on sleep management another week they might do some some work on anxiety symptoms another week and then they might go back to the physiotherapist so it's it's um, a more integrated approach and those decisions are made by both the the child and the family and the and the clinicians together and it, so it's so far it's working really well and we're seeing pretty
0: good Do you think that's just yeah. it's an easier way to maybe figure out which are the main underlying Symptoms,
1: yeah, because you, ab- absolutely. Because you're
0: spreading it across the different disciplines. Yeah,
1: and I think I think what we do know really clearly from from all of our work is that every child is different. So it's not that every child has the same set of symptoms, and some kids might have the same symptoms but for different reasons. So being able to think in a what we call a multimodal way and fit the Treatment to the child's needs, not the way we usually work, is actually a really useful way to go.
0: Do you think that factors like age and sex and temperament have a a part in this?
1: They do, absolutely. And there's lots of data to show that. So in terms of age, that's a really big one. And most of the work that's been done shows that adolescents are at most risk for these persisting symptoms. That might be because it's a, a stage of rapid brain development. So there's a big growth spurt in adolescence, and particularly to those kind of connective parts of the brain that, that are um, vulnerable in concussion. It might also be be because adolescents' lives are more challenging than a preschooler. So, Mm. you know, they've got VCE exams and, you know, all of those kinds of pressures. They need to be working hard and doing homework. And so the symptoms are more evident, you know, regardless of which is the causal factor, they still do seem to be the group that we need to focus on more. There's also some evidence that females do worse. And and this is a bit of a controversial topic, you know, given that AFLW is Mm. is doing well. Um, There's actually a group called the Pink Concussion Group who are looking at whether or not women are more vulnerable. In kids, we don't see that, interestingly. So, boys are more likely to have concussion than girls. Girls tend to have more severe concussions because they'll be the cheerleaders or they might be fall off a horse, which is more more severe than the typical competitive sports uh, injuries. But when we start looking into the adolescent groups and even the older groups, we need to think about a range of things. We need to think about skill sets. So yes, there might be more concussions or more serious concussions in Women playing AFL, but then maybe that's because the exposure to the skills and their expertise is not quite as great because they haven't been playing so long. Yeah, yeah. So there's those kind of issues to to think about. And, you know, there's even even discussions around um, you know what stage of your menstrual menstrual cycle you're at, mm-hmm. and when you have your your concussion, and that may have an impact, but. You know, the, again, the jury's out on those things. There are lots of things still to research. Yeah, the last thing is your temperament, and and I think that is a really critical factor. What we see is more anxious kids, and interestingly, more perfectionist, high functioning kids tend to be overrepresented in that group with delayed recovery. Sort of um, more, uh, they seem to be more focused on how a concussion might impact their future goals than a, a child who is less perfectionistic mm. and um, maybe has a different set of goals.
0: Are you able to diagnose how long the recovery process is going to take or is that change all the time?
1: It changes all the, the time and there's, there's now lots of work going on to see if we can more accurately yeah. predict that. And I think you know, you've know you already mentioned, we've already talked about some of those, the factors that will be risk factors for us so that we think, okay, we really need to watch this kid. We need to make sure they got, get early intervention mm-hmm. because they're at risk for being slow recoverers and those are adolescents, um, anxious kids, kids with other neurodevelopmental disabilities. The other thing that that we haven't, Talked about, but is a really big um, factor is the severity of the symptoms when kids present acutely. So, if the kids that have more severe symptoms in the emergency department or when they go and see their GP, we've identified that those are um, going to be more likely to be the slow recoverers as, mm. as well. So, you know, it's not an indication of a more severe concussion, but it's a more severe response. And I suppose some of the work that we're doing, looking at that, is is looking at the microscopic um, things that happen within the brain after a concussion. So there's a thing called a metabolic cascade, that um, means that there's a, a whole range of consequences that go down to a very microscopic. Level that you can measure in blood, and so the argument is that you these um, blood markers will change after a, a concussion, and perhaps they might be good predictors of long term outcome too. And, and there's lots of groups around the world who are doing that and starting to get some interesting findings.
0: What do you mean by consequences?
1: So um, the consequences will be in terms of those kind of generic symptoms that we see. So, okay. so, it's quite tricky because some of these biomarkers that you look at, you will see immediately after an injury, they are impacted. So, they might go up really high and others are flat and then a few days later, they'll, they'll become higher. So, there's, again, lots of complexities. But it's a really promising area for us to, to better understand things that are micro, you know, really at that micro level. Mm. And that's something that potentially could be treated, so it's even more exciting.
0: Concussion was produced and presented by me, Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Special thanks to Professor Vicki Anderson.